so many of us are married, but all of us uh, come from marriages, come out of families, come from uh, are in community with with marriages. It is such a fundamental part of life, and like all of our parts of our life, again, it has its crosses. Our spouse isn't our cross, right? You know, but marriage marriage has crosses in it because you know we're broken people. Our our spouses are broken people, and so yeah, we are we are ministers of the cross to each other. Well, hello and welcome back to Deep in Christ. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi, here at the Coming Home Network International, bringing to you another discussion about this, our daily task of growing in imitation of and relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ and his church. That's what we're doing here, here at the Coming Home Network. Uh, as I uh, rec- remind you every time on this show, I mean, we're this is a production of the Coming Home Network. We're a network of people who have embraced the Catholic Church and people who are on that journey thinking about it. And this show is talking about the daily journey we all share, right? No matter where we are in relationship to the church, no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what crosses, we are working to bear better. Uh, the, the daily task is to stay close to Jesus, you know, and he'll lead us to where we need to go. Uh, last week, we initiated uh, a really cool study, a really good discussion that I'm excited to continue today. Uh, myself and my colleague, uh, Kenny Burchard, uh, joining me last week. Kenny, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, and I see uh, we're both doing the red red and gray a little bit here, red and gray sweater. Yeah, red and gray sweaters. That's right. Yeah. We're sort of an inverse of each other. You have the dark <laughs> on the inside and the red on the outside. I'm the reverse of that. Hmm. So it makes me think, it makes me think nostalgically of all the sweaters I've gotten rid of over the years and all the fun we could have had with them. But this is like my last sweater. So oh, man. <laughs> that inside joke's over pretty quickly. <laughs> well, it's great. Great to be back with you and, yeah. and talking about the cross again today. Thank you so yeah. much for having me back. Likewise. I'm so excited. You know, we, we, we had a good kickoff last week, and I've, my mind has just been buzzing this past week thinking about, yeah, this this image of discipleship as a cross. Do you, do you want to give us just the very briefest recap of yeah. kind of what we talked about and where we're going today? Yeah, what we're doing is we're saying that that Jesus gives us uh, the way of discipleship in the Gospels. He says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, uh, let him, let her, let them pick up their cross, one gospel writer says, every day, let them pick up their cross every day and follow after me. And so we've adopted this language. We didn't create it. We've we've embraced it that says discipleship is cruciform, if you will. Discipleship is cross-shaped, and that's the shape that Jesus gives us. And so now as disciples, as followers of Jesus, our responsibility then is to look for the cross in everything that we're doing and to let the cross uh, and following Jesus with our cross inform how our lives are supposed to change. And that's got to get really practical, right? We have to talk about the nuts and bolts of everyday life and how we experience life in the world and say, well, there has to be a cross for that because I'm going to follow Jesus in that area. So what does it look like if the cross is my the image for um, how my life is to be formed? Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking after last week about how 
Again, there's a cross in each of those areas. We look for the cross because the cross is there, because that's part of the nature of this world, in this fallen world. Yes. The, the nature of it is that there's going to be crosses, right? There's going to be suffering. There's going to be death. There is sin, and it continues. And so when the word becomes incarnate, well, then that word comes into collision with the death and the sin and suffering of the world. Now, in Christ, we have this image of he he receives that to himself. I was just telling my son this today. Like this is Christ gives us this image of what a of what a, a man or what a saint does is that he receives the that that evil onto himself. You know, for, for all of history, that has been passed from person to person. The evil continues in the world. But what happens? Christ receives it in himself, he takes it to the cross, and he brings redemption. So, like, we're all going to experience death and suffering and crosses. There's crosses throughout our lives. The question is whether we imitate Christ in picking those up and bearing them. And if we do, then through Christ, we experience redemption and we bring we bring new life to the people around us. And so that's, like, this, the crosses are there. The question is, will we pick them up? And so today we were going to turn to, if, if we kind of go... If, if the center of our life is this relationship with God and he teaches us that cruciform way of living as his disciple, well, for many of us, for most of us, uh, and for all of us to the degree that we all come from families, an, an important next layer outward is the relationship of, of spouses in marriage. So that's, I think, what we're going to talk about today, huh? Yes. Um, last week, I kind of said one of the driving um, phrases that I adopted for myself and for others, uh, if I was ministering to them, is when faced with an issue, uh, when faced with a yeah. sin, a struggle, a difficulty, a trial, whatever it might be, then I would say to myself, there's a cross for that <laughs> if the disi- if discipleship yeah. is cruciform. So, and one of the things, you know, as a pastor for many years, one of the things I interacted with people about a lot was their marriage. And I myself, yeah. and I know you too, John Mark, we're, we're married guys, right? I, I just celebrated 29 years of, of marriage in wow. December 2021, coming up on 30 years. And uh, wow. how many years is it for you? Uh, going on 12. Going on here, 12. This year. Yeah. So, so as married men, uh, the Word of God uh, has some instruction for us about how the cross informs us and I'll just say as husbands you know because we don't we don't have our wives here so maybe we could say this is a right. a, a cross for husbands today or crucif- uh, cruciform husbands <laughs> and we want to unpack this because because uh, especially the apostle Paul um, he takes the image of the crucifixion really the whole gospel the death burial and resurrection of Jesus and lays it over the top of Christian life in the book of Ephesians, but then he drills down, gets real specific about how the cross informs me as a husband and how I am to interact with my wife as a Christian man. So I thought maybe today we could unpack um, the need for a cross or for the cross to inform what it means to be a godly Christian husband. That sounds wonderful. I'm excited for that because, again, that's something that we all, so many of us are married, but all of us uh, come from marriages, come out of families, come from 
are in community with with marriages it is such a fundamental part of life and like all of our parts of our life again it has its crosses our spouse isn't our cross right you know but marriage marriage has crosses in it because you know we're broken people our our spouses are broken people and so yeah we are we are ministers of the cross to each other you know we're ministers of Christ's loves to each other yeah so, amen and yeah. you know just on a real on a real practical level where do we where do we learn in life about being about being husbands? And we we learn that from our fathers, and they learn it from their fathers, and 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 you know going all the way back. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, we learn about the brokenness of being husbands from our first father, if you will, Adam, and how he acted and comported himself toward uh, his wife Eve, and the things that happen as a result of that. The Bible's full of pictures of what happens when husbands don't do things the right way and wives as well but um so we have these these models good and bad models for for husbands both in scripture in history and in in our own lives well what paul does in ephesians is he says to husbands he says to all christians really at the beginning of chapter five that the cross and especially jesus uh, how he behaves himself in the world toward our, all people is our new example to follow. And then he really gets specific with husbands and the cross in, in chapter five. And I just, you know, since you and I spoke last week, I've spent a good amount of time just meditating and ruminating on his um, exhortations, Paul's exhortations in Ephesians chapter five. Um, two husbands and how much cross there is in there. Would you be okay with me just kind of jumping into the, the text a little bit? Yeah, please do. Please do. So if if you have a Bible, uh, any, anyone watching has a, a Bible, you might want to you know drop it open to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And in chapter 5, uh, you could say um, this this discussion of cruciform love, cross-shaped love, begins in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, 1 and 2. He says, therefore be imitators of God as his beloved children. In other words, you're, you're God's kids, act like your dad, basically. Okay, uh, how, does, how does he do it? Well, and live in love as Christ loved us. Now here's where the cruciform language takes over loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there's that cross-shaped language. He's saying the way you you become an imitator of God is you look at Jesus and you say, how does he act toward God? Well, he gives himself up. He offers himself completely to God. Uh, He is 100% God's. And the way that he demonstrates this is through his action in the crucifixion. Then he unpacks what that looks like in everyday Christian life all through chapter 5. But we get down to cruciform love in marriage down in verse 25 and what follows. He says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And then he uses the same phrase, and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy, cleansing her by or with the washing of water by the word, so as to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind, yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. And then he says in verse 28, in the same way, or that's how, 
Husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Okay, so there's some cruciform language there for husbands, and it has to be unpacked, um, not just theologically, but practically, okay? Um, what, what does it look like to do this in a marriage? How does it look when a husband specifically is living out of this text toward his wife in the world? And, uh, you know, love is sort of the overarching theme here, but it's cruciform love. And it reminds me of a a marriage counseling appointment that I had with a young couple several years ago. Um, and they got married and didn't stay married. And, and part of the reason I could have almost pre- predicted it when I was working with them is I asked the couple, a question that I asked a lot of couples, well, why do you want to get married? Seems like a dumb question, right? Here we, <laughs> But I still ask it anyway. Why do you want to get married? And the guy said, well, because I love her. I said, oh, well, what does that mean? <laughs> He said, I just want to be around her all the time. She fills me up. I just can't be apart from her. I just don't feel like myself when I'm not with her. Um, I need her. He kind of used a lot of phrases like that. And I said, okay, that's one version of love. Um, And they kind of both looked at me with sort of this cockeyed look. Well, what do you mean one version of love? I said, well, that's, that's what we might call empty love. I need, I need, I need, and I'm going to use you. I'm going to plug you into the empty space in my life uh, so that I'll feel good or feel fulfilled. So what I'm learning about your understanding of love is that she's here for me. I'm going to plug her into the emptiness of my life. Another way of thinking about love would be I have so much. I have uh, a lot of love to give, and I want I want her to receive. I want her to be the recipient mm. of everything that God has put into me. I want to give it all away. And I said, "You see the difference?" And it was kind of a shocking moment for them. And that is sort of the framework that Paul begins with here: love your wives as. Like, in what way do I love my wife? Well. Mm-hmm. Not with this empty kind of love where she's there to be plugged into your emptiness, you know, but with this yeah. overflowing kind of love where everything that you are, everything God's put into you, yeah. every resource, every gift, every capacity, every talent, every ounce of energy, you want to give that to her for her benefit. Kind of shocking right. uh, yeah. way of thinking about marriage. Right. You know, and there's a way, obviously, this is sort of speaking, this passage is speaking specifically to husbands. Uh, and so we, we receive the imitation of Christ here, you know, the, the model we're to follow in a couple different ways. I mean, there's the way that all Christians are, are to imitate Christ in this specific way, that we're all to, you know, pursue and try to put into effect that kind of love for our spouse. Both the women and the men are supposed to do that. But there is this sense, and this passage does call husbands to kind of be the ones to, to jump in first. Like, yes. if, if there's a if there's a standoff, yes, you know, if if there's trouble, the husband is supposed to jump in in a particular way and be the first one to take the fall, the first one to go to the cross to bring about new life. 
And talk about that for a moment, if you would. Yeah, I mean, even the Catechism uh, talks about this when it's talking about our relationship with God. The whole, the whole orientation there at the very beginning is that it's God initiating um, the relationship right. with us after we have fallen into sin, right? Um, like we didn't fall, we didn't fall into sin and then say, "Oh my goodness, let's make up a way to get back to God." Uh, that wasn't right. that wasn't right. on our radar as a, as a race, you know, as uh, as human beings. It was God who initiated and even gave us the capacity to, to respond. And so I like what you're saying about you know who who um, jumps in first when there's a standoff. Yeah. Like if there's brokenness yeah. between a husband and a wife, the the weight of responsibility to remedy that uh, is that we are to be imitators of God as dear children, you know, as sons. Uh, so it's talk, talking to the men. How do I imitate God? Yeah. Well, I initiate. I do the things that look like I'm initiating restoration. I am initiating. Uh, I'm turning myself back toward you and uh, positioning myself to be open to reconciliation. And it can be something as yeah. simple as the tone of my voice, the look on my face, I mean, any number of things that we could call to mind. So the idea is there, what yeah. posture do I take when there's conflict um, and, and even division and maybe separation, even the threat of the dissolution of a marriage? Mm -hmm. I take the... Um, I take on the burden, the role of the reconciler in that in that capacity, right. in that sense. Yeah, husbands are called to that role by God, not because husbands are perfect, not because you know, like uh, the Christ in relationship to the church. You do have the perfect man in relationship to the imperfect bride. That's not the situation that we're in, right? Yeah, God, we're we're called to that role in marriage, not because of who we are, but but who Christ is and what he's called us to. And so oftentimes that that's the that's the struggle, that's the challenge for husbands is um, it's so easy to be despairing, it's so easy to be slothful because we are crappy people. Like like we're imperfect fallen men. Right. In in the context of our sin, it's easy to despair right. and thus um, falter from our responsibility to be the initiators mm -hmm. of new life and new love. But no, that that's in both senses, we need to turn back to God. We come back to Him as a prodigal son, and then in our in that humility, we receive that call to to uh, to initiate, to love, to sacrifice. Again, not because we're perfect, but because precisely mm -hmm. we had a Savior, and He's called us to this to this role of starting the the chain reaction, starting the the apology, starting the prayer, starting the you know reconciliation. Mm -hmm. He's called us to that, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And you know, in married life, and there's some really great pictures here of how it works dynamically, like in an everyday marriage. Right. In married life, um, you could say there's there's two tracks running side by side at the same time, two programs running side yeah. by side at the same time with respect to love. On the one hand, I use my, my wife as an example, there are things about her that I really love, right? Because they're lovable. <laughs> That's easy. Yeah. That's easy to love. It's easy to love that. And there's a lot of things about me. Well, maybe a few, one or two things about me that she would say the same thing. So, well, that's the easy part, um, and I am called mm -hmm. to love my wife in that way, which I'll, I'll talk about more in a second, how that, that's a challenge for me. But I am called to love the lovable things about my wife. 
but I'm also called to love her when she isn't what I would think of as lovable. That is, I'm not to abandon her. I'm not to abandon my covenant with her, my commitment to her, my um, my solidarity with her. I am to uh, um, hold on to that the relationship with her sometimes despite the fact that there are things about her that are broken and, and, and unlovable, if you will. And the cross is, is informing both of those. It's informing both of those. On one hand, it's informing something about loving the things that are lovable about my wife. I'll give you an example of where this kind of confronted me when we were younger. I was, and I probably still am, a very selfish husband, but my wife, I think, would say less so uh, now than I was when I was younger. When I was younger, I was a me, me, me husband. Everything was about me. Everything was for me. Even she was for me, if you will. Every, everything we were doing was about where I was headed and what I was doing and what my goals were. And there were things about my wife that were so amazing, if you will, powerful, amazing, wonderful things that had not been unleashed yet because I was uh, sucking all the power <laughs> out of her for myself. And, the, and God convicted me about that probably, I don't know, eight or nine years into our marriage, eight or nine, maybe 10 years into our marriage, that I was a selfish jerk, to use the technical terminology and I took my wife to a park and said that this I'm a selfish jerk basically and I need to start helping you I need to love the lovable things about you by giving them more of me so that you can become the person that you're supposed to be mm-hmm. so in that sense sacrificing my selfishness so that I could pour more into my wife and and actually this text in Ephesians says he who loves his wife loves himself that was the verse that got me. That was the section of Ephesians that got me thinking about that. It's like, you're really hurting yourself, Kenny, by not pouring more into your wife so that she can achieve some of the important goals that she has. And in, in the long run, the more you keep her down, the more you're going to hold yourself back. And that's why I say loving what's lovable is where the cross intersects with my selfishness. Um, because I, I I want I want everything for me. Well, the cross says no. She has a purpose. She has gifts. She has goals. She has capacities. You make sure she achieves the things in life that she's born for. That's one. Oh, side. that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. The loving, the lovable, and then loving uh, even. I'm sorry. Yeah, both sides of that. It, it is a a rather terrifying thought to think of the ways in our life where because of our own selfishness or blindness or pride where we haven't turned and gazed upon the lovable things that God has put in the people around us you know we've wanted that for ourselves and we've not shown that love and appreciation on them it's a i mean it it's a it's a hard thought yeah. you know and it's why Peter, I think, in in one of his letters says, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, right? And one way of looking that, at that text is to say, get to know everything you can about your wife, this incredible person that you're married to, yeah. um, and find out who she is. 
And then what would you do with a person so amazing as that? What would you want to make sure they had? What would you want to put to, at their disposal? What would you want to make available to such an amazing person as this person that you've discovered so that you don't crush them, you know, with the weight of your selfishness, but you release them to become the person that they're born to be? And as a husband, I'm to love my wife like that, gave himself up for her. This is so that in Christ, God can bring about his created intentions for the whole human race, which is what? For us to image him in the world perfectly, to be a, a reflection of him. So I'm participating in that, in the way that I, that I love my wife, by bringing out, you know, facilitating the, the, the flourishing of, of who she is as a person. The other side, yeah. the other side of loving really does deal with the brokenness of our wives uh, and and they are also dealing with our brokenness as um, as their husbands but since we're we're talking to men here our wives are sinners let's use the, the biblical word right <laughs> just like us and they're gonna do things yeah. in the marriage that um, that we're gonna see the the broken places in our lives there's things about mm -hmm. my wife that, um, you know, that they, they flow out of the brokenness of her humanity. Well, I get to see those more than anyone else and always will. And same for me, you know, on her side. Well, there's a call and there's a cruciform call there as well. And it's in this language. Um, you know, the one side, remember, we said was uh, he who loves his wife loves himself because he's loving the, the lovable. He's bringing about her flourishing. OK, but what about the bad stuff? Well, there's the language that Paul says um, that Jesus, when he's working with the church, is washing her by water with the word so that he can present to himself a pure bride having no spot, no wrinkle, no blemish or any such thing. Now we're talking about the darkness. And I was really trying to unpack that, you know, like what is this language? And I think I, I shared with you that when I wasn't a Catholic, the way that it was explained to me is, oh, washing by water with the word means that I study the Bible with my wife. <laughs> like I, yeah, I yeah, teach yeah. my wife the Bible and that my Bible teaching of my wife as her holy, godly husband is going to cleanse all that sin out of her life, and then she's going to be the godly woman that she's called to be. And I, I ran with people who said that's what that that verse is about men sure. teaching their wives the Bible. Well, what's interesting is that the earliest Christians didn't ever say anything no. like that about what this verse meant. Is it all right if I jump into a couple of uh, thoughts from some of the fathers here? Definitely, definitely. So. Um, one of the things that uh, y you can you can read the commentaries of, of some of the early fathers about um, of this language when they're comment when they're commenting on Ephesians, and um, there's baptism language actually that's going on here. Uh, let me see here um, in his homily on Ephesians, Saint John Chrysostom he gives this cruciform word to husbands. He says. Have you noted the measure of obedience? Pay attention to love's high standard. If you take the premise that your wife should submit to you as to the, the church to Christ, then you should also take the same kind of careful, sacrificial thought for her that Christ takes for the church. Even if you must offer 
your own life for her, you must not refuse, even if you must undergo countless struggles on her behalf and have all kinds of things to endure and suffer, you must not refuse, even if you suffer all this, you have still done not as much as Christ for the church, for you are already married when you act this way, whereas Christ is acting for one who has rejected and hated him. <laughs> so, just as he, when she was rejecting, hating, and spurning, and nagging him, brought her to trust him by his great solicitude, not by threatening, lording it over her, intimidating her, or anything like that, so must you also act toward your wife, even if you see her looking down on you, even if she nags and despises you, you will be able to win her over with your great love and affection for her. Now, I wrote in my notes here, notice the baptism language. Do you notice any baptism language? I actually do. Uh, because baptism is figuring the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Washing by water with the word, as Paul says, um, is where God enters into solidarity with us and brings us into his life. And I know I'm kind of going in a few different places here, but, but what the fathers are saying is, this isn't me teaching my wife the Bible. This is me bringing my wife into my life in a solidarity kind of way and where I'm I'm not going to let go of her just like what Jesus does when we're baptized when we're baptized he washes us with water and then it says by the word and that's not bible study that's the word according to the fathers that's pronounced over us at baptism and what's the word pronounced over us at baptism in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit when we're baptized, Paul says, we're brought into the Trinity, we're brought into the life of God. In the same way, husbands love your wives. You're going to bring about cleansing for her when you bring her into your life the way God brought us into his life at our baptism. So it's a way of saying, Get deep into your wife's life. Get in the stuff with her. I think we talked about incarnation. Like when God sees the infirmity of humanity, he doesn't run from us. No, he becomes human. And not only that, then by baptism, he brings humanity into the Trinity. That's the picture that the fathers are painting of how a husband loves his wife when he sees the bad things. He incarnates, if you will. He gets down in the dirty stuff with her, and then he brings her into his life. It's the opposite of polarity, isn't it? It's the opposite of dislocation and disassociation. It's like, right. in simple terms, run to your wife like God ran mm -hmm. to you. I love when we have these biblical comparisons you know, between human relationships and the relationship with the Almighty God. Um, because they they inform each other. We we know that the, the human one is based on the divine one, so we don't overly anthropomorphize. But when we look at them together, we we receive such insight both directions. Um, you know, the image that's really coming to my mind is how important this cruciform type of love 
is applied to marriage because we could think of, again, the, the cross in relation to marriage and take it in a very simplistic and negative way of, well, marriage is a cross and my wife is difficult and, and so I'm just going to bear that burden, you know. Um, and we have that pop cultural image, right, of, of the, of the, you know, I've seen the image floater on the internet of the lioness roaring and the male lion kind of like, uh, right. Know? And, and you have, you have that pop cultural image of, okay, the, the, the wife who, is 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 being very intense and the husband who's just bearing it maybe not so stoically and that's not what we're called to exactly you know one i was talking to brother rex last year through the you know the 12 step spirituality and talking about the 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 dynamic between kind of wounds and sin you know we all have our wounds and we we often, our sin is us acting out of those wounds, those unhealed wounds. Well, that's a lot of times what we have from our wives. You know, like we're, we're, we're so close to them that we, we're hearing all their insecurities. We're hearing their fears. We're hearing so much of comes out of their wounds in their life. And the, the wrong way to bear that cross is to just, I'm just bearing this. I'm just getting by. Right. Uh, as opposed to what Christ does, is he goes into it. He goes into the water. He goes into the tomb. He goes to the cross. He he picks up the leper. He picks up the sheep. That's the kind of love we're to exemplify. We're to give to each other, our wives to us as well. That we're we're to enter into each other's wounds and woundedness, uh, and we're to receive it and transform it. Again, I, I mentioned at the beginning this this image I I've always loved, and I was telling my son about, which is that Christ receives all of that from us and from the world. He receives, you know, all of us acting out of our wounds and our, our sin, all of our anger, our betrayal, our mocking, all the stuff. He just takes it on himself, but he, he enters into it. He takes it to the cross and he transforms it. He gives, us, he gives it back to us in love. And that's, I think, we, you know, what we get a little bit in this, in this passage. How, again, how are we to, to do what Christ does? Uh, as you said, it's not us. We're not. Cl- we aren't washing our wives. Right. We aren't preaching the Bible at them. Right. We're entering into their suffering and taking it upon ourselves to yes. bear it with them, and out of that comes new life because we're united with Jesus. Yeah. The, the images of incarnation on on the one side and baptism on the other, um, yeah. those two overlap there in terms of how we yeah. are to engage in the cruciform. Um, being a cruciform husband, a cross-formed husband, I am to right. on the I am to on the incarnation side enter into suffering with my wife, as it were, get into her yeah. world, right? But yeah. I am also to bring her into my world, as we said. Mm-hmm. This is the opposite. However, you, you want to you know uh, work it out. It's the opposite of pushing away from your mm-hmm. wife when you see something. Mm-hmm. Um, in her that you don't like, yeah. something that's polarizing, or you're having some kind of a, a major or minor disagreement. Uh, right. Reforming the uh, mm-hmm. impulse in ourselves to push away, to push away. Right. And the cross or says, to dominate. The cross says, pull in, pull in. Yeah. I didn't catch the last well, thing that you said. Well, I, I was going to say, it, 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 the resisting the temptation to either pull away in response to the the, the brokenness or to dominate right like or to dominate I gotta just I'm gonna right that, that's those are the two pulls that the world gives us that either we just we, we we slothfully resist and we just we stay out of it or that we try to control right now we're like Christ we're to 
enter in, we're to bring uh, bring our, her together with us and bear it together. Yeah, and that really connects to the sermon, that a little vignette or piece that we read from St. John Chrysostom, where he, he basically says what you yeah. did. You, you did. Don't dominate and don't push her away. Get into it, you know, get into it with her. So maybe as, as we, you know, come in for a landing, a guy can do a little self-assessment if there's something going on in in his life with his wife he can he can ask himself in those two columns what am i loving that's lovable you know and pouring myself yeah. into that really stems from her great capacity to be somebody amazing and how has god uniquely formed and shaped her and what's my responsibility to pour into that to draw it out and then what do i see that's broken and that's yet not like Jesus and yet sinful. And if I'm if I'm compelled to be repulsed by that, to push away and become polarized by it, what actions and attitudes do I have to take to myself to draw closer to her um, and, and, yeah. and bring her into my life and enter into her life? And that's going to be different in some ways from every guy. But the cross says take it on. Take it on yourself. Back to the top of Ephesians 5, be an imitator of God as a dear child, or be men, be like your dad. <laughs> be like Father God, mm -hmm. and be like Jesus. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Kenny, for that, for that discussion and for for those thoughts and the, the great that great reading from the early church fathers. We'll have to remember to post that so people can read that and take it into their prayer and their meditation time. So we'll do it. And it's, it's a joy to be here with you talking about the cross and how it really shapes our lives as Christians. Again, like we said, it's the it's the image, and I, and I have mine here with me, you know, each time we talk, but it's the image that the church gives us to help us remember our high calling as followers of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you, brother. And thank you all for listening and watching. Uh, again, this is a production of the Coming Home Network International. Uh, we're all people at different places uh, in relation to his church. The Coming Home Network is here to share the truth and beauty of the church and to help you if you're thinking about becoming Catholic. Um, but even if you're not, even if maybe you're just kind of looking uh, at the church and, and scratching your head a little bit. Hey, we're here as fellow Christians. We'd love to answer your questions. But whatever journey you're on, the main thing is we want to stay uh, walking with Jesus Christ because he'll lead us to true unity, authentic unity. He'll heal the brokenness, the divisions uh, in the Christian family. Uh, but we got to stay close to him. So that's what we're talking about on this show. Uh, and again, if you are someone who's thinking about becoming Catholic, that's what we're here to do at the Coming Home Network. So be sure to contact us at chnetwork.org and join our online community where you can journey with other uh, members of the Coming Home Network uh, uh, as you work, work through these questions, receive answers to your questions, and, and share your prayer requests. It's a great place. Check that out at community.chnetwork.org. Once again, thanks for joining us for this episode of Deep in Christ. We'll talk to you again next week. God bless. God bless.